0: (laughs) All right, you would, with thanksgiving and with great um, joy, open your Bibles with me to Paul's Epistle to the Colossians. We will be in chapter 3, picking up from verse 17 to the end, and the first verse of chapter 4. So, Father, this is our daily bread, your very word. Lord, it feeds us in our spirit. It feeds us and nourishes us so that we might live lives that are pleasing in your sight. Live lives, Father, that reflect your perfect glory in this dark world. Lives that would illustrate and be examples to the beauty of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior, our elder brother, our Redeemer. He is our all in all. And you've given us not only your written word, but you've given us the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I welcome you here today and ask that you would do what only you can do, which is open our eyes to see his beauty, open our ears to hear his voice, open our hearts Turn away from the wickedness that is within us and turn towards the kindness, the sweetness, the holiness, and the the righteousness of our Lord and our Father in heaven. Father, our prayer is that your name would be renowned on this earth and that your will would be done in this place as it is in heaven. And so we ask Holy Spirit of the living God, accomplish that for the glory of our Father and for the renown of the Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are now again in uh, the second um, closing parts of Paul's epistle to the Colossian church. I've titled this message, The Family of God. Um, and I'm going to read from verse 17, which I did cover a couple of weeks ago, in part, um, in conclusion, as it were. And then read through the rest of the chapter and and to verse chapter excuse me four verse one, and then we'll take a look and see what is it exactly that the apostle is trying to let us know. What is it that God the Father wants Paul to tell us? So, Colossians chapter three verse seventeen, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter towards them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord, and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, give to your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Father, help us to understand this. So as Paul is writing this section, especially in chapter 3, as he ends um, the earlier parts of the letter, he deals with some of the false teaching that is drawing the Colossian church away from the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ And he enters into chapter 3 and he's now giving them instruction and direction on what does it really mean to be the family of God. The family of God. The family of God is the church on this earth. And he goes through that in those earlier verses from chapter, excuse me, from verse 12 through verse 17 and describes the people that he's writing to. So he describes not only the people of the Lycan Valley, the Colossian church in Laodicea, but he's describing something to us, about us. And he uses these terms as the elect of God, holy and beloved. That's God's family. Earlier in this epistle, Paul uses other words to describe them. He calls them in the opening chapter as he's addressing them, the saints and the faithful ones. He says in chapter 1 in the first couple of verses 3 to 5 that there is a marking among these people that marks them out as the family of God. And those markers are the same markers that we would hope to be found in us and that is that they have hope, they have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they have love for all of the people. This is the family. This is not a club. It's not an organization. It is a bound group unit. He addresses it in his letter to the Ephesian church, and he reminds them that we are one in the body. There is one church, one God, one spirit, one God and Father of us all who is in us all and over us all. And all of this is to tell us that it is not as it is in this world. This is not a tennis club. This is not a religious group. This is a unit a family, a body. And that's how Paul starts this section. And we can't miss that part because if we miss that part, then we miss the point of the rest of this, these specific things, because he doesn't, and as I mentioned two weeks ago, he doesn't leave it in your church life. We often do. Well, at church, or oh, at the Bible study, but when the church isn't around and I'm just in my house, or when I'm in my workplace, that's different. Paul doesn't give us the opportunity for that. Because we are at all times and in all places the family of God. The members of the body of Christ. His bride. We are the bride of of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is our husband. And that's why when we read the rest of these passages, we can understand why it is Paul is making it such a big deal. Why is it important? There's two difficulties that they would have in their day that we have in our day, so I just wanna lay those out because there is these two issues that we struggle with as modern Christians, issues that they were struggling with in the church in Colossae, in Laodicea, in Ephesus, in Rome. Why are these things there? Because those churches are filled with people. And we're people. So we have these same issues in our day and that's why Paul has this. That's why the Lord had him to write it. The very first one is that disconnection that I mentioned. We disconnect our Christian life from the rest of our life or from the church family and it's not possible. It's not possible to disconnect yourself You cannot have what I refer to as stovepipe Christianity. On Sunday, I'm a Christian. I go to church on Sunday, I listen to the word, I sing glorious songs, and then I go home, and that's the end of that till next week on Sunday. You can't disconnect them. If they're disconnected, then you're just playing church. That's all you're doing. Don't kid yourself, don't deceive yourself. If the Lord is the Lord of your life on Sunday morning, he's the Lord of your life on Sunday afternoon, Monday morning, Monday evening, and every other day of the week. And if he's not, he's not on Sunday morning either because he will not be separated. But that's the problem, and we all deal with it to different degrees, different times of our lives. We struggle, and the reason that we disconnect our Christian life from the rest of our life or from our church family is because we live in a fallen world. And we live among fallen people. And things happen in our lives. They happen in our families. They happen in our workplaces. And we fall back to what we know in this world works. Because we live in a fallen world. What we end up doing is we look to the world to fix what's wrong instead of believing that the Lord Jesus Christ is able, instead of believing that the Lord Jesus Christ even cares. And that's where we fall. So that's problem number one, this disconnection, this this somehow believing that we can actually serve two masters. Somehow falling into the trap that we see even David struggling within the Psalms when he asked the questions, Lord, why do evil men prosper? You've seen it. I've seen it. Evil men prosper in this world. God's given us a clue to that in his word to deal with it. The psalmist himself struggled with it. We hear his heart cry out, How long, O Lord? How long? So that's our first problem. The second problem is we do not trust the Lord and His truth and we look instead to the world for its truth. And we allow it instead of where it says up here earlier, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the peace of God dwell um, rule in your hearts, instead of God's rule and God's word being the commander of your life, you look to the things of the flesh, the world that surround you. And so what I want to do is, as we go through this particular section, verses 18 to 4-1, I want to ground it in the truth that should be master over us. And that truth is that when it deals with wives and husbands, children and parents, bondservants and masters, God has authority over all of that to direct you in how you should behave. I know some people, they want to deal with verse 18, so I've got a note here to deal with it because we like to, to, to deal with this part of it. Wives, submit to your husbands as if that was the entire epistle to the Colossian church. Paul to the church, wives, submit to your husbands later, Paul. I mean, that's how much emphasis gets put on this. I want to just point a couple of things out here in that particular verse, and this applies to all of the rest of them that follow. One, it says, wives, submit to your own husbands. It does not say, women, submit to men, does it? That's what we want it to say, that's what we hear that it says. It doesn't say that. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands. Why does it say that? Now, unfortunately, if you don't like it, you can't get away from it, because that is what it actually says. But why does it say you submit? Who determines what marriage is? What is marriage? Did some lawyer somewhere come up with this? Did it come out of some old Jewish guy's mind? It came all the way back in chapter 3 of Genesis when God himself, after making Adam, saw that it was not good that he be alone. And so he put him to sleep and removed a rib from his very body and created woman. And then if you read that for yourselves, it's chapter 3. God says that I'm making woman for Adam and from Adam. What is that? That's a design. That's not a valuation. Read your Bibles. Nowhere in the Bible will you ever see that women are lesser than men. They are created equal in the eyes of God. You as a woman are just as valuable as any man in the eyes of God. You just have a different role. And in God's design, he said that Eve was created for Adam, through Adam, to help him. And Adam was supposed to be in charge. I'm sorry, that's the way God designed it. And what happened in the next chapter? Adam failed. Eve failed. Eve listened to the serpent and Adam listened to Eve. Eve should have listened to Adam and Adam should have listened to God. And as soon as this order broke, sin came into the world and here we are. So that's why it says wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. As God designed it to be. If you enter into the covenant of marriage that God himself created, live as if you're in God's created institution. Submit to your husbands. Well, that, we still don't like it. Even if we accept that that's true, we still don't like it because I don't submit to any man. You do realize that submission is voluntary. It doesn't say wives obey your husband. The picture drawn here is not of some commandeering master um, of the human race directing his wife what to do, and her with no thought just doing it because that's what she's told to do. It says to submit to your husband. If you want to see that, read a little further down because he actually does say, bond servants, obey. There's a different word there, and there's a different word there for a reason because it's a different relationship. The relationship between a man and a woman as described by God in his creation is that the two become one flesh. And each of them have a role. And a woman's role in a marriage and a woman's role period is so vital to the order that God has created functioning properly that if she fails, it completely dissolves and falls apart which is what happened in Genesis. That's not to blame Eve. Adam was supposed to be there. He was right there allowing everything to happen. Sin is sin. That's why it says this. So you should be happy to submit to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. There shouldn't be a rebellion there. If there is, figure out why. Because the the next verse is the same thing. Husbands, love your wife. Love your wife. Do not be bitter. Now, if you have a different translation, this is New King James. There's different words used there, but it's basically do not be an aggravation to your wife because you can't be an aggravator to your wife if you're loving your wife. How should you love your wife? According to the same man that wrote this, you should love her as Christ loves his church because she is your bride and you are her bridegroom and you are his bride and he is your bridegroom. And he loves you so much that he was willing to stretch his hands out and receive the wrath of Almighty God to save you. And he did it willingly. He submitted to the Roman authorities. He submitted himself to God the Father. He did not have his life taken from him. He laid it down. That's submission. That's what we are to do for our wives. And if we don't do these things, it all falls apart. So if you are living in a marriage and you are not following these rules, it's going to affect the church, which is the image of Christ in the world. And your home with your husband, your wife, your family is an outpost for the church. So the people that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the people that don't know God, they're seeing an image of what is good, what is pure. What is of good report? And they see it in your house. And they see it in the way you treat your wife. And they see it in the way your wife responds to you. And they see it in the way your children interact with you. And they see it in the way you raise your children. And they see it in the way you interact with your boss. So when the boss is away, so when Jen's in the back room doing whatever managers of stores do, and the employees all gather and start goofing off, and one of those employees is a Christian, what do you think the other employees think? She's just one of us. He's just one of us. I don't know who all works in that store. I just used Jen because I know she manages a store. I'm sure some of the other of you manage people as well. But if you aren't going to give your boss a good day's work, what do you think the people that work with you think? Christian, I love the Lord. I don't obey him. I cheat on my boss. I cut corners. I'm lazy. But it's good to be me because I'm eternally secure. You can't disconnect that. And that's what Paul is saying here. Slaves, he uses the word slaves, bond servants if you will, that's the translation. But you can apply this in every relationship. Masters, you have duty to your servants, bosses, to your workers, owners, to those you employ. But these workers do everything not with eye service as men pleasers, don't kiss up to the boss. Don't do things when the boss can see you and then act differently. That's man pleasing. When you're sitting at home alone, like I do every day from work, I work in my living room. My boss can't see me, but my Lord can. So when I'm sitting there taking extra break time because nobody knows, somebody does. That's why Paul is writing this because if that breaks down, it all falls apart. It all falls apart. God has authority and he is the one who has founded the church. God created the church. God will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The Lord Jesus is building his church. Right now today, he's building his church. We are blessed to be a part of it. I pray that everyone in this room is blessed to be a part of the family. But it's God's church. He builds it, he maintains it, he directs it. And God created marriage And he created man, and he created woman, and he had a distinct purpose for doing it. An end that he's trying to accomplish. Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done. You can't pray that prayer and not live these words out because you don't want his will to be done. Thy will be done except for in my house. Lord, the woman you gave me, right? Oh, if you knew the man. You don't see that out in the Bible. Because your relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ is your relationship to him. I've got a bad boss. I'm sorry you have a bad boss. Serve him. Serve him fully, not as an eye pleaser, not as a man pleaser, because you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave you that job. Do it with all that you have. Empty yourself out into that job but my boss won't care, it doesn't matter. Your Lord does, and you have a reward coming. There is a judgment for us. So don't allow the world and the sinners that are around you and the fallen nature to change your heart, to change your mind, whether it is how you operate in the church and how you operate in the family. And everyone in this room is either one of these things. You're either a mom, you're a dad, you're a husband, you're a wife, you're a child, you're a worker, you're an employer. I'm looking through the room. Every single one of you fits in one of these categories. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because they're always right? No, it doesn't say that. It says because it's pleasing to the Lord. Why submit to your husband? Why? Because he's better than you? No, because it's fitting in the Lord. Workers serve your bosses. Why? Because they're always right and they can fire you? Well, that's probably true in some ways. Um, But no, because you're working for the Lord. And it glorifies him and it brings honor to him. So remember that God is the authority over everything. Even the things he didn't specifically establish, like he did the church and marriage. So that's number one. The motivation, how am I supposed to do this, Ron? How is this possible? What makes me do it? It is your love. I was listening um, to a man's sermon this week on YouTube and he said something that I'm just gonna steal from him. I will give him his credit, his name is Alistair Begg. And what he said is, as you read through these things, and as your natural flesh has a tendency to revolt against them, nobody likes to be told that they aren't in control. What this is, is it's tying right back in to verse 14. Put on above all things love, which is that bond of perfection. This is love's response to love. That's all this is. It's your love of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that enables you to do the thing that the world tells you you shouldn't be doing. You've got a bad spouse. You've got an ornery child. You've got a bad boss. This is what you do. And when they tell you to do that and it violates God's design, it's not going to go well. And that's why this is so important. It's important that we understand that we are doing these things in this world that we live in, that yes, is full of sinners, that yes, is full of situations where bad things happen to good people, that Christians do suffer. Christians are persecuted. Christians are ridiculed. Christians are rejected. We don't do it for that reason. We do it because before any of that and above all of that is my love for the Lord Jesus Christ who emptied himself of the glory of heaven who willingly gave up his deity and set it aside and came down to this planet and walked amongst the people that killed him as the God-man. He submitted himself to the Jews who were religious people who hated him, who wanted to destroy him. He submitted himself to the Romans who thought that he was a rival king. He put on the robes of a bond servant and he walked up to the man who was going to sell him for 30 silver and washed his feet. He knew that that was going to happen. He knew the heart of the man whose feet he was washing and yet he did it. He stooped at his feet and washed them and then sent him to do what he was going to do. And he knew you, and all the evil in your heart, and all the sin you committed, and your rebellion against him, and your refusal to acknowledge him, and your pride that made you greater than he. He did all of that. He knew all of that. And yet he went up to that cross and spread his hands out and said, Father, forgive him. Or he didn't know. I'll take his punishment. I'll take her punishment. I look into this cup, and I see the wrath of God that is going to be poured out on me, and I cry out as the Son of God if there's any way for this not to happen. But Father, not my will, yours. I will drink every drop of this cup. Every ounce of your anger, which is righteous and holy, I will receive into my own self. I will become the object of your hatred, sin itself, to save that person because they're such a good person. That's love, and when you have that in your heart and you realize that he not only loves you that way, but he is Lord. And he is perfectly correct to say, submit. He is perfectly correct to command you. My wife is mean to me. I can't love her. Love your wife. You'll notice if you read that, there's no escape. Love your wife. Love her. I don't feel like loving her. I don't care what you feel like. Love her. Favor her, honor her, lift her up, encourage her, brag about her, do things for her, love her, protect her, shelter her, nurture her, love her, give your life for her if need be. And the world will look and say, Oh my God, there's something about that guy, there's something about that woman. Do you know her husband is such a. And she loves him anyway. She submits to that. Why? There's something different. There's something different. And it's our love that motivates us, it's our love for Christ. If you're going to try to love the church, and your wife, and if you are going to have this relationship with your children and your boss, and you think that somehow or another in your own personal um, security you're going to not struggle with these things, you're crazy. Human nature will, it will take over. You will, you'll, you'll hide it, you'll be jealous, you'll be envious, you'll be pride-filled, you'll be demanding, you'll be overbearing. You will rip them down, you will tear them apart. If you try to do it in your own strength, you can't do it because you have a fallen nature. So look to the one who can. Put your eyes upon Jesus. We sing that song. Why? Because he's able. He's able to forgive the one who is persecuting you. You may not feel that. But he's able to do it. And he's able to give you the grace to do it. Because his grace is greater than any sin. It's able to overcome any sin. It's able to restore any brokenness. Because he's the great physician. He's able to love the unlovable. How do I know that? If I had a mirror, I'd show you. All I got to do is look at it. We are the elect of God, beloved. And there is a promise, as I wrap this up there is a promise, and that is yes and amen in Christ. He is working all things to the good of those who love him and are called by his name. All things, the good things that happen in your life, the bad things that happen in your life, the things that have yet to happen in your life, the things that happened in the past, he is working them all for your good. They are not always enjoyable, but they are always for your good. They are always for your good and you will receive a reward. It is certain, and there will be a judgment, and it is certain. And so we want to remember that as well. The master has a master in heaven, but the slave, this is, he's writing this to the bond slave, to the servant. He who does wrong will be repaid for what he does. Shouldn't he write that to the bad masters, the overbearing bosses? Shouldn't he be writing that to the unfaithful husband, to the disobedient child? He's writing that to everybody. There is a time coming when you will be repaid for what you have done, and there is no partiality, Christian. You do realize you're going to be judged. What are you going to be judged for? What deeds you did in the flesh. Oh, yep, you can't get out of that either. You're eternally secure, but there's going to be a judgment. And the deeds that you've done in the flesh will be judged, and there will be a loss of reward. There will not be a loss of your standing. So live in such a way that when you are judged you will stand with your head high not ashamed of the way that even after he gave his life for you you sinned against him wantonly and openly. And if you are sinning against him wantonly and openly you might want to look at your heart. So that's why this is here. This is Paul as he, again, has closed out telling him, hey, it's not about philosophy, it's not about religion, it's about you being made by God's grace, by God's mercy, a member of God's own family. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And because he has done this for you, he has set you apart, he has made you the object of his love, put on all these things, tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long suffering." bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another in the church and then in the home and then in the workplace at the pizza shop, at the grocery store. You are a child of the Most High God. You are a reflection of the divine image of the beauty of Christ in this world. How does he look? Father, I thank you that though sometimes when we read these passages, because of the world that we live in, because of what we hear, even maybe what we were told when we were raised up, we see these words and we think that this is a worldly thing, that we're being told to submit, um, and somehow that devalues us. And Lord, nothing could be farther from the truth. We are so valuable that you are willing to surrender your life to purchase us. Father, every one of us, this isn't about our value. This isn't about whether we have meaning. This isn't about our capabilities. This isn't about any of that. This is about what you've designed for us to do so that the world can see your beauty, your holiness, your love. So, Lord, help us to understand that. Help us to walk in this way. Help those that are wives to submit to their husbands, not out of duty, not out of some kind of necessity, but willingly from the love they have for you that they might think to themselves, Lord, thank you for this man. And I willingly give myself to strengthen him and to build him up. Let the husbands, Father, be strengthened to love their wives and not to be bitter toward them, not to be a discouragement to them, but, Father, to lift them up and to recognize that you created this woman for me. And she's necessary. I can't live without a heart. And I can't live without my wife. Help us to understand that, Lord. Help our children to be obedient so that you could find pleasure in them. Help us as fathers and as parents to not stir them up, not to provoke them, not to be overbearing. And help us, Lord, as we go out into this world to do everything, not as eye-pleasing, not as man-serving, but to do everything because we serve you, Lord, To bring glory and honor to you. So that through our lives. Someone that is out there. Right now today. Might catch a glimpse of you. In your mercy. In your grace. In your kindness. And when they see it. They will look up. And through the work of the Holy Spirit. See for the first time that you are indeed alive and willing to pardon their sin. That's our our hope, Father. Our faith is in you, Lord Jesus, to complete what you've done. Where we fall, help us to just confess our sins and be restored so that we can move on. I thank you that you are a forgiving God. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving me and for loving us. Help us to love you. And I thank you that you will. I pray in your name, I pray for your sake and for your glory. Amen. Amen. If you'll stand and join us.